Gross too far, they go charcoal and then lots of, lots of oil starts coming out. Lots of oil starts coming out. And then if you go past that, <laughs> you get a fire. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed dark, dark beans are shiny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah light really? beans yeah. aren't shiny. So yeah. we got a fire on our first roast. The first roast. <laughs> our brand new That's roaster good. just combusted into flames. <laughs> so we had to unplug it and run it outside and... Well, it still worked afterwards. <laughs> cleaned up all right. Yeah, that's, that's where it all started with, with the first roast and we had a big learning curve after that. You... So no, the, no, that wasn't a setback. No, yeah, no, no. Persevere. We, got the, we got the business plan. <laughs> It'll work. Let's keep going. Yeah. Do you want me to just fill in a little bit yeah. until now? Yeah. So um, as confident we, as we were, we went down to Sydney, met with some specialty coffee roasters and they put us onto some guys in, in Sydney that are specialty coffee roasters um, that um, have, a, have a warehouse, a factory, and, and they roast beans all the time. A bunch of people go in there and roast. And so we teed up a meeting with them and brought down our, um, our little bag of roasted beans and said, we'd like to start roasting with you. And um, they tasted our coffee and it was charcoal and bitter and they smiled and said it was okay. But they took us on, which was um, quite humbling because um, it's a, they roast down in um, Melbourne and they hold events and they have championships and all sorts of things and we're just two guys roasting on a Beemore, um with our charcoal beans and online coffee beans that were two crops old and <laughs> so we were, we we're really fortunate to be taken in by these guys and um, and so we, we started roasting with them. Um, and they've taken us in and, and taught us a lot of things. They, and, um, and, yeah, so we've had a high-quality product since then um, without knowing everything about it, and each week we're just learning more. So that's kind of... We kind of somehow got in the door with these guys. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I've seen a couple of photos on Instagram and stuff. It looks yeah. pretty high-tech. Yeah. That you yeah. guys are, like, yeah. checking computers and stuff. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing there. Yeah. But it's a bit more than the microwave yeah. fire. Yeah, yeah. We went from the microwave. These guys um, have the best equipment. And so it just went from like driving a little Hyundai, uh, what, what were they back in the day? XL or something. XL, like yeah. That. You know the XL back in the day to driving a Ferrari. So it kind of went from that. So yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and lots of learning, which has probably been the most enjoyable part. Yeah, sweet. Look, we haven't rehearsed this, but where do you get the green? Like, you order the green beans from? Not, so, not no, from no, this you. is this is where we started, <laughs> coffee snobs. That so, that you can. This is good for your home coffee punters. It's a good place to get them. But um, we get ours through our coffee roaster supplier, so they do a whole lot of quality testing before we get the beans. Um, they've cupped it. They've tasted. So cupping is just a way of tasting coffee in its um, rawest form sort of thing. And so there's a whole lot of quality testing. They get in, um, they have relationships with the suppliers from Colombia, Ethiopia, um, all the different origins. So, yeah, that's yeah. sweet. Now we've got your coffee in the machines today. These, a bunch of these guys have already enjoyed that. Uh, that'll keep going. Uh, they could also touch base with you afterwards and ask... Um, you know, where could they maybe try some of your stuff, buy some of your beans and stuff. But I'll be keen to hear from these guys because they have sort of just started at home doing coffee themselves. Like a couple tips for us who might want to make uh, start making coffee at home or making better coffee at home. Yeah, cool. We've come up with a, a list of five things that you can do 
to make your coffee at home better. This is for people that, if you're roasting, uh, sorry, if you're making coffee on a little home espresso machine, um, or if you're being a little bit more creative and going with a pour over or plunger or whatever it is, um, hopefully this will help you make a better coffee. Or if you're wondering why your shot's not pouring right, or we've got a couple of tips for you. So first one. So the first tip is to buy fresh beans. Might seem obvious, but um, beans don't. They last, they're good for about a month. They taste best one week after being roasted. Um, so you want to make sure that you're buying fresh beans and also choosing the right bean. So um, if you're after your long blacks or I'm just drinking espresso by itself, um, a good single origin that's been freshly roasted will taste amazing. Um, Ethiopia, super fruity. Brazil, Colombia, more your yeah, um, chocolate, caramely sort of flavours, but... Yeah, try it. Try buying fresh and buy the right sort of bean. So you yeah. said in single origin, that means like one type? Yeah, yeah. And what, if you get multiple types, all those flavours just get a bit mixed up and it's a bit confusing or? Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like cooking where you've got different layers or like a, a cake, for example. So it's a single origin, um, which it might not be obvious, but is what the word means. You just get from one place. So it's an Ethiopian or... You just get it from Brazil and it's just from that place. A blend you actually put together um, like you're cooking with ingredients and you, and you can't just chuck any beans together. And so with our blend, we've actually got like the Brazilian, like James was saying, is like this kind of chocolatey base. It's, it's more of those familiar coffee flavours that you know um, and, and it goes well with milk. And then there's a Colombian which has um, more of a caramelly flavour um, and then there's the Ethiopian, which is quite fruity. Um, and you might be hearing these words thinking, I just taste coffee, it just, I'm not tasting chocolate, or what are you talking about, fruit? Um, and one of the things that we're quite passionate about is, and, and we want people to know is that coffee in and of itself is actually really sweet and fruity, um, and it doesn't need to be sweetened. It comes from a cherry. Yeah. And so, um, it, yeah, that's quite important to know. So if you're making bad coffee at home it's really bitter it could it could be because you're not using fresh beans or a bunch of different things um but good coffee should taste sweet um and then when you go through different types um you can actually taste like different characteristics flavors um even actual fruits like i've had a a, a coffee that tastes like fanta um and so roasting um with a bunch of guys in sydney yeah it sounds ridiculous and how could you taste fanta from coffee um, but, yeah, when you're actually tasting these beans, you can taste all these different flavours. Um, and, yeah, so that's... Sweet. So, so the second tip is um, using filtered water. Um, what you might not know about your coffee is that um, your coffee is made of 98.75% of water and only 1.25% is soluble coffee. So the, the main taste, if you're using just your household water or normal water, it can uh, affect the taste of your coffee um, greatly. So if you use filtered water, that's what we use to test our coffee at the roasters. That's what most roasters will use. Um, if you like the taste of your water, then you can keep using it. But filtered water is the best way to get um, a good, good taste out of your coffee. Yeah, and if you go out to your local cafe, they'll be using filtered water as well. So if, say you go to Glass Onion or Glee or something like that and you want your t coffee to taste like that, um, using filtered water will be a good step in that direction. Yeah. So third, third tip is to get a burr grinder. I'm not sure what you guys are using at home. Um, the, 
a, a herb and spice grinder doesn't cut it. Um, a burr grinder, um, and we can recommend it. My brother's got one of these. It's the uh, Sunbeam, oh no, Breville Smart Grinder Pro, sorry. Um, yeah, who, who's got one? Put your hand up. A couple of people, over there, yeah. Over there. Um, yep. The reason that we recommend this grinder is just um, it's pretty it's pretty cheap um, for a grinder, but you can it's got dosage settings, so you can actually um, set the right dose and that sort of thing. It'll come out consistent every time. And we're going to talk a bit about that in a second, but yeah, it's really user friendly and you can make consistent coffee. Yeah, the f the fourth one is what I'm a pretty passionate about is. Get scientific about your coffee. Um, a lot of places um, weigh out their shots, but what and what we like to do is um, follow a recipe. So a lot of guys will do this. We've developed our own one with a, um, a really good barista at our roastery. And so what we do is we measure um, 20 grams of dose. Um, it's the coffee going into your shot, into your portafilter. So 20 grams in. And over 20 seconds, or 28 seconds, you want to be getting about 40 grams out. And so if you're not getting this, it helps you diagnose what's going wrong. Um, yeah, so th this, this um, recipe will be on our website. A lot of good roasters will supply a recipe with their beans. So it's interesting to see how different um, roasters recommend it. Um, people like drinking it differently. But um, definitely following a recipe of... Um, will help you get a perfect shot every time. Yeah, and this is two tools that I've brought in today that I use, which I could, and you can get it for under 50 bucks um, to help you make better coffee. The first one is just a dosing cup. Um, and you might think, why can't you just use any cup? This is just really convenient because it goes straight into your portafilter. So you just fill it up, then you can weigh it. And this is my little dosing scale. And so I just weigh out, I just weigh out the shot um, so I, put in 20 grams. I don't do this every time, and, I, and you don't need to do this every time. Um, this might be um, just as you set up your coffee machine or you're trying to figure out why it's running too fast or not coming through at all. Um, you can use a simple recipe and just two tools um, and you can nail a shot, easy. So two tools, just a dosing shot and a, and a scales and that can help you on your way if you follow the recipe. That's yeah, good, so a couple measurables that you can yeah. check and. Make sure you're here and start experimenting and making it better. It's good. And just the last one is, like, when, when you follow the recipe or whatever, just knowing what a good shot looks like. So when it, when it first comes out, it's dark and, and golden and it looks like syrup. So it should look like kind of honey dripping out of your um, portafilter. And then as it starts to speed up, it'll, it'll go golden, uh, yellow, and then as soon as the streaks stop, that's when you, you kind of stop the shot. But it comes out like syrup at the start, and that's what you want to see. Yeah. That's good. Well, there's some couple tips. Uh, there's probably a couple questions that you might ask these guys later, but does anyone want to ask a question? I don't know, maybe it's something rattling around in your head right now. Yes. Are you selling the product? Yeah, yeah, we're selling it. We, we have a website online. Um, we're currently... Um, setting up a place in Womble where you can buy it. I think we're going to be selling some of it today as well here. Um, and, um, yeah, so there's a bunch of places that you can get it. What, bluewhale.com yeah, or something blue like that? bluewhalecoffeeroasters.com. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. Yep, question out there, Ricky.
Yeah, sweet. So once you once you've cracked, say, a kilo bag, how long do we have till we finish it? And I guess how do you store that? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so a kilo bag, you got about a month, um, but you want to keep it sealed um, the whole time. So you want to keep sealing it every time that you open it. And yeah, it's it's tastes best after about a week, but it's good for about a month after that. Um, yeah, you need to start getting inventive with how you make it. A week from roasting and then a month from opening it. Yeah, and we use these bags. They've got the Ripper Sipper um, seals. A lot of people, a lot of coffee roasters will use them so you can reseal your bag. So this date on it, is that used by? Or no, that's that's, that's when that? it's roasted. roasted. I was going to say it's a bit old. No. <laughs> no. So that's roasting date. So yeah, you're going yeah, seven days after that. Yeah. That's when it's prime. Cutting off about a month, a month after that. And it'll be okay. Yeah. All right. It's good. But I guess if you're not cranking out, I don't know how many coffees a day, you might opt for the smaller bag rather than mm. the... Yeah, kilo or but buy that. within your means. So um, if you're just drinking 250 grams a week, maybe just buy it weekly or maybe 500 grams for two weeks and then buy it again so it's fresh again. That would be a tip. Yeah, it's good. All right, one more question, I reckon. Yeah, up there. Yeah, so once the coffee's open, do you store it at room temperature? Yeah, just in a cool place. It doesn't need to be in the fridge or freezer. Some people do do that, but just a cool, dry place is the best. Yeah, so not in sunlight or. Okay. Look, I did say one more, but yeah, to hand up, go for it. Fair trade. Fair trade. Uh, it's a good question. So all the coffee that we bring in um, from the roasters is fair trade. Um, there, um, there is different ethical questions um, that I have with fair trade and how it actually helps coffee farms. We have looked into that a lot. Um, and we're working out at the moment what's the best way to actually support local communities um, overseas um, as coffee roasters because um, from different research I've found fair trade over the long term doesn't help um, a lot of coffee businesses over time. I could go into this a lot more. So it would probably be up to the your coffee roaster to yeah. do their research and what they want to do and then to the consumer to find out somehow, you know, what's yeah. your... What's the principles on where you get coffees from and then yeah. you'd be able to align. Definitely, yeah. Yep. All right, that's good. Well, you guys are going to be sticking around for today, maybe hanging out near the cafe. Um, if you guys want to chat to these guys, ask more questions, uh, feel free to go over there and um, do that. But thanks, guys, for Thank jumping up. Could you – I don't know what to do with them. I'll take them both. <laughs> All right. And while these guys are hopping down, I want to invite Michelle up. Now, Michelle, you're going to be talking to us a little bit about cooking bread yes. at home. But it looks like pretty good bread, am I right? Looks like – and you've cooked some today? Yeah, so a couple of those loaves were from this morning and one from yesterday. Yeah, great. So that's going to be cool to find out a little bit about. But me, I thought it would be – you know, it's, it's good to – like we did with James and Sam, get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yep. So I'm married to Andrew, got three kids, Anastasia's 13, Zeke's 11 and Zoe is 4. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at uni um, over the last 13 years, just actually, yeah. We'll, we'll get stopped, into that. really. Yeah, 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 I haven't stopped. So, so I'm currently we, doing my masters. We've known each other for a long time. We went to school together. Yeah, so we, um, 20 plus years 20 now. plus <laughs> years. And actually, we got invited along to EV about the same time. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe so the same night, I'm kid not sure. at school who sat next to me in a couple of classes just wouldn't stop asking me. Um, eventually yeah. I couldn't think of a reason to say no anymore. Yeah, he and, just um, turned up at my house with his car. <laughs> His wife is walking, yeah, around, walking around here, being amazing this morning. So, how was yeah. that for you coming in? I shared with these guys yesterday. Um, you know, when I got invited along to church the first time, maybe maybe some people here are like, oh, "What have I got myself into?" Um, but I was a bit nervous. I was a bit skeptical. What was it like for you? Um, so, I grew up uh, in a. I went to a Catholic primary school. Grew up going to mass every Sunday. So, in a sense, the idea of church wasn't new to me. Um, it was more a surprise at how relaxed and casual it was. Is that guy actually wearing shoes? No, he's not. Um, that guy's, you know, wearing board shorts. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so the weirdness was in meeting people because I'm not a particularly social, extroverted person. And, um, yeah, just how casual and relaxed it was. Yeah. It wasn't what I expected. I got along to the Sunday morning um, church service and also the Sunday night. And I actually had a young guy say to me once, are you not allowed to wear shoes on stage <laughs> and I went what are you talking about and I looked and every one of these little hippies on the stage and I said no 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 they're ever just I don't know ferals or they've lost their shoes somewhere um and I said and I said to the guys one of you guys has got to start wearing shoes it's getting a bit weird um but yeah so and and then and yeah you have studied a lot you you kind of... Um, I haven't really stopped. Yeah, you I get interests. School, yeah. You have hobbies. I, yeah, I do have hobbies. You, ha- you were interested in coffee. Uh, yep, you so I actually started out the same place those guys did oh. on the Coffee Snobs forums. Yep. I saw the bag and went, oh, I remember those days. I had a little hot top roaster, roasted my own coffee and stuff. Yep. And, um, and then where did that lead for you? Uh, yep, I met some people in the coffee industry and uh, did some sensory training and ended up judging brewster competitions for a while. <laughs> Who does that? And then from that, ended up going to uni to do a Bachelor of Wine Science. There you go. So, so like, yep, you know, you can't go to uni for coffee? No, they didn't do coffee flavour chemistry at uni at that point. So, went and did a Bachelor of Wine Science. Because you're interested in wine as well. And then, that, and then you've, you've done that now. Yes, finished that. It took me nine years with breaks to have kids and just life in general. But finished that, um, which ended up with a... Uh, internship up in Mudgee making some wine, uh, which turned out a bit better than the stuff I'd made in my bathroom. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, but but you're, you're a mum in, in your minor. Yep. Just having a go at making wine, making coffee and judging, and, and telling the coffee snobs they're not snobby enough. <laughs> and, and now you're into bread. Yeah, yep. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. What, why do you like making bread? What are you doing? Like, um, yeah, what's good about that? Yeah, so I, I like to do stuff at home. So um, for my uni degree, I made uh, wine and port at home. Um, I was brewing kombucha for a while, but um, – and, yeah, and I thought, well, what else has yeast and ferment? What else can I ferment? Yeah, what, exactly. What else can I ferment? So, um, yeah, ha- I had a, a cookbook at home that had a recipe for sourdough and I thought – See what happens. Give it a go. Yeah. All right, well, we might head over there. We'll get slightly further away from you guys. Um, but tell us what you've brought us today, the cooked ones here. Come around this side, yeah. Michelle. There's the coffee. Pop that there. So this is... Um, yeah, so these are just plain white flour loaves and this one's kind of half white, half wholemeal. Um, and you've cooked these at home? Yep, just in my oven. Oven. Do you have a yep. fancy oven? No, just a normal one. Just turn it up as hot as it can get. 
How long does a live take to cook in the oven? Uh, uh, so, yeah, a little over, little over half an hour. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, I reckon these look great. If someone – they look really fancy too. You're obviously doing something cool. It's <laughs> just a razor blade, yep. So that's the like the easiest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if you, if you turned up at a barbecue with bread that you baked yourself that looked like that, you'd be a superstar. That's awesome. <laughs> Likes on Instagram like crazy. Um, now, can you tell us if someone wanted to start cooking, you know, bread sourdough like this at home? Yeah. Where would they start, and sort of what does it look like? Yeah. Okay. So what I've got here is um, this is my starter. Um, I know some people name their starter, but no, I don't. I Just haven't named it. Um, and so how I made, I actually made my starter from scratch. So it's you know, indigenous Yumina yeast okay. there. Um, and so bacteria. the yeast from the air. Uh, just finds its it, way well, in there. When you buy flour, there's yeast and bacterial spores in it. Okay. Um, so all I did to get it started was mix 50 grams of flour and 50 grams of water and left it out on the bench overnight. And then after that, I just kept adding the same amount of flour and water, discarding it when it got too big because you don't need a bucket full of the stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, but so to add, after it, that first to add night, more, you need to take some or out. a cover. Yeah, so well, only because you don't need... A Ten litres of yep. yeast, yeah. Um, and it actually, it went for a while. We were pretty worried because there were like black things growing in it. We are like, this hasn't, this hasn't worked. Yep. But um, what you need, you just need the patience to just keep going with it, keep feeding it. Um, and the, the cultures you want will become the dominant cultures and, therefore, and the ones that you don't want will die out. So once it starts smelling like yeasty bread, yep. it's, it's working. And once yep. all, Can I smell this? Yeah, go for it. Now, I had to try it that once. Mine smelled like beer and rotten fruit. Maybe I didn't leave it long enough because that smells really nice. It could be that you didn't leave it long enough or you left it too long in it. So if I leave that and forget to feed it, it will start to smell, yeah, a bit bit yuck, Mm. bit beery. And then if I leave it for too long, it'll actually start to smell like nail varnish. um, That's when you... Acetone. That's that's when you you go... Okay, all right. Get but this, this uh, starter that you're using yep. is the sort of the same one yeah, so that that's, you started with. Yeah, uh, it's over three years old now. Yeah, so that's cool. Keep um, they cool. they develop more flavour over time. Um, so yeah, there's bakeries in around the place that'll use starters that are you know hundreds of years old. And, yeah, well, yeah. all right, that's cool. Okay, so you've well, so done they that. Say anyway. You've done that. You've started that, and what you're thinking? How long until that's usable for a loaf? Yeah, it took a couple of weeks of just feeding it. And, I mean, you can start to see here there's, it's, it's rising, there's bubbles forming. Yep. Um, and so if I want to make bread, I, I want to feed my starter the day before, make sure it's quite active. And then the, when I know it's ready to make bread is I just drop a little bit of it into some water and if it floats, it's good to go. Oh, there's yeah. a tip. <laughs> there you go. Because it's got enough gas or oxygen Yeah, I presume the air oh, bubbles. There you go. It. Yep. And are you keeping that out in the fridge? Uh, I usually have it on the bench at home, um, but I will often keep a spare bit in the fridge that I just feed less regularly just just in case. Something um, happens to yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. So you've got your starter. What do we do then? How do we... Yeah. So when I go to make bread, I if I want to make bread today, I will have fed my starter two days ago and then I'll have fed it um, in the morning and then around lunchtime I'll weigh out so 200 grams of my starter and just whisk that into 500 mils of water and then add 700 grams of flour and 15 grams of salt and it ends up a dough, uh, well, it ends up a lump of 
So I don't know if it's you pretty hard to. Um, so can you unwrap that? Yeah, I'll hold absolutely. your microphone for you. Don't smell it. <laughs> All right. So this is. So tell us again. This is yesterday. You did this. Uh, no, this is this morning. Yep. Yep. Um, so this is this morning. I just whisked up some starter with some water. Is that going to fall flour? out? We'll see. Um, I'll just do it quick. No, nah, didn't fall out. <laughs> um, and then I'll let that let that sit for about an hour. So the thing with st- it's not difficult, but it's time consuming. So just a lot of little steps over. You know, usually need to allow myself kind of forty eight hours to go. Oh, I want to make some bread. Yep. Um, and so once I've I've left that for an hour to just sit and I the yeast to start working through. Um, I just need it. So I'll show you. There you um, go. It, it's really not that complicated. So. I, it's, it's difficult to see, but all I'm doing is picking it up and folding it over. So you're not throwing it on the bench with flour? No, I'm not ye- ne- ye- kneading it at all, really. I'm just folding it over, so four or five times, and you can see it's kind of formed a bit of a ball. Um, and, yeah, I'll do that every half an hour for three hours. Okay. Yeah, so lots of little pieces. doesn't yeah. take long, no, but it's, but it's kind of a slow process. That's right. And, okay. Um, if for some reason I need to go out and I'm not going to, just whack it in the fridge, come back. It's Put it good on to go. pause kind of thing. Yeah, so okay. putting it in the fridge, we'll just do that. And the longer it spends in the fridge, you'll have more of the sour taste because um, it's taken a, a longer, slower ferment. You're going to get more of that sour taste, uh, whereas a faster one, it'll just be more bread-like. Bread-like. Yeah. Okay. And then from there, how do so we... So from there, every half an hour I'm doing that. So just quick fold, cover it up, leave it again. Um and then once I've done that for three hours, uh, let it sit for an hour and then I'll divide it into two balls and um, fold it into a ball, let it sit for another hour and then I'll shape it. So I have some baskets that I didn't bring but um, that I use to shape it in but you can just freehand shape it into a, a boule which is your round shape or a batard which is the kind of Longer one. these ones. Yep. Um, and then leave that for a depends how warm it is half an hour an hour and then chuck it in the fridge overnight and then bake it the first thing the next morning okay so yeah so like this is a bit of a it's a lot like so we're gone two days ago yeah it's a process um and i think that's what turns a lot of people off because they go you know it's going to take me two days to make a loaf of bread but it's yeah five minutes walk in fold it walk out forget about it for half an hour and yeah and that's that bread gets you this kind of sourdoughy crusty that sort of uh, bubbly, elasticy sort of bread-like yes. stuff inside. Yeah, yep. it's not yep. your tip-top. No, no, it's not fluffy. your soft, fluffy. Yeah, yep. And then yep. once, and then what do you do with the oven? The oven. Um, so when I'm ready to bake, I'll just turn it on as high as my oven goes, which I think is about two seventy. I mean, yep. it stops measuring at two fifty, so I just, just keep going. Just put it up as high as it goes, and then um, what I'll do is I have a baking tray in the bottom of my oven that I'll chuck a cup of water into um, when I'm about to cook because the steam is what helps you get that really nice crust. Um, I know some people just chuck a handful of ice cubes in. Um, You can use a spray bottle and just spray water in. Um, And yeah, I usually cook it for, usually bake it for 20 minutes and then flip the lobes around and do another 10. Okay. So it's even. Yeah, that's right. So if I've got two in, I'll switch them and flip them around just to try and even it out. So is the humidity there slowing down the crust and makes it... I think so. I haven't looked into the exact science of it. I th- what would be intuitive to me is that the moisture in the crust actually allows it to get a bit thicker before it crusts over. Yep. Um, 
Yeah. All right, that's good. Anything else? But you, you know, you love it. Yeah, it takes it's good a, fun. Takes yep. a good time. Yep. I had some of this the other day, <laughs> some ham and cheese on it, and it was delicious. Maybe you guys come down and taste it in a moment. We also got some honey cracking, so maybe we could mix it up the both there. Um, but if people want to find out a little bit more about this, they could. Yeah, I'm happy to chat. Touch base um, with you. You'll I be hanging probably around. don't have all the answers. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but find a good cookbook. Yeah, that's but, right. Yep. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's so, a million different recipes. If you just Google it, you'll find you know. Um, a million different recipes, a million different yeah, thinking about how to go about it and just find one and when it works, stick with it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, well, let's give Michelle a hand. I reckon this looks really fun, really delicious. And um, you head down. Now, I think I told Johan that we're going to get him up later, but I might get you up now. So, Johan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Johan. And um, yeah, accent from South Africa. We've been here about 14 years. Yep. And um, I'm a local GP here, working here in a fair. And uh, yeah, my wife is here, and I've got three boys. Yeah, right. And, and all at church. And you, so you have you been coming along to EV the whole time you've been? About 10 years now. Yeah. So when it opened here, we our first day was um, for me actually was when um, it was still in the grammar school. Yeah. Yep. And then um, yeah. Before we moved here. Yep. Now you keep. Bees at home? Yes, I've got six hives at home. Okay, why do you do that? I like honey. You like honey? <laughs> Who doesn't like honey? It's delicious. No, it's um, it's a uh, yeah. One of my mates introduced me to bees about four years ago, and um, yeah, it just fascinates me. It's just a fascinating um, insect, um, and there's so much to it. And you think it's just bees, but it's uh, it's fascinating, and um, lots to it. And we need bees. Um, I like the produce. I like the honey. We use the wax. I make honey wine. I'm trying to. Not very good at that yet. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great hobby, and it's a hobby that the whole family is part of. So you, you my wife is part of it. The kids help out. So very good. Yeah, it's great. And we thought it'd be interesting to get you up today to sort of give us an idea of what that would look like. So if yes, someone yeah. wanted to um, have a crack at that at home. Yeah, I've made a little presentation. So I've got a few photographs from home that just to give you ideas. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. a photograph will um, show you yeah. more than well, what I, I can might say. do. I might dump some of your stuff on there and yes. I'll let you keep okay. talking. No worries. Oh, could we grab that clicker? Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right, that's my, my first picture of a bee I could sort of nail. I tried it and it worked. So. Um, Right, so today we're just going to quick presentation. So I just want to talk a little bit about um, the, the bees in, in general and then um, look at some different types of beehives. Um, we're going to look at some um, how to start beekeeping and a bit of how to extract honey. So it's, I can talk two, three hours about beekeeping. So this is a very short presentation just to give you an idea. So basically in a hive we've got a queen. So the queen has got a long... Um, I'll show you a quick photograph. So there's a picture of a queen. It's a bit small, but so she's got a very long abdomen, and that, that, that helps her to lay up to 2,000 eggs a day. Now, the queen produces pheromones in the mandibles, and that pheromones controls the hive. So just by the bees share it, and then um, it will tell the bees to, to, to build more wax or to do this. So the queen's pheromones control it. Then you get drones. That's the male bees. It's a bigger bee than a normal bee. 
The males got no use in the hive. They only mate and they die. That's the only reason they're there. So they don't do anything. They can't even sting. So they're a bit of a nuisance. And then you've got your worker bees. So the worker bees is the bees we see in the gardens. Um, so, before, so normal life cycle of a bee will be the queen will lay an egg. The egg will stand up straight. I'll show you some pictures later about that. The egg will fall down day three on its side. The egg will hatch. The bees, the forage bees, the housekeeping bees will now start feeding this egg some honey and some nectar, the nectar and some pollen, that's protein and carbohydrates. It will form a larvae. It will, from, from day three to day eight, it will gain weight 1,500% of its weight. Then at day eight, they'll cap it. And in 21 days, the bee will hatch. So that's your, your bees will hatch and they become house bees where they'll work inside the hive to clean the hive to feed the queen and they feed the babies. When they get about three weeks old, they become forage bees. They go outside in our gardens. They forage about 70 meters from the hive, up to two kilometers. They do that for three weeks. Normally by then the wings are finished from all the flying and they'll become our guard bees. So they're the grumpy old bees. They sit in the entrance of the hive. If they see you come too close, they'll come... And they'll nail you. They're going to die anyway. They're suicidal. So they don't care. <laughs> so that's basically what happens in the hive. Now, oops, that was the wrong button. Okay, so swarming, I just very interesting. So every year, throughout spring and early um, summer, bees will swarm. And we'll see that in the community. You see bees swarming. So they swarm because the hive... There's no more place in the hive. The hive is full. There's too many bees, and they need to reproduce. They need to shift to somewhere else. So what will happen is 50% of your bees will leave your hive with the old queen. So they pack up, and they go. Now, I've got a short little video here. So this video happened this year in my garden, just to show you what happens when bees swarm. So the hive on the left, the bees all came out, and the queen, and what they did is, what I've never seen before, they just went into the box next door and they took it over. <laughs> but normally what will happen is they will leave and they'll find somewhere else. So this one was in a little well, and um, we actually caught that swarm and gave it to Leah, I think I saw her here today. Now... The rest of the bees will then stay. So you know you've got bees left. Before they leave, they'll, they'll make a queen cell. So if you look at the picture there, right in the middle on top, there's one cell. It looks like a peanut. It's a bit bigger. That's a queen cell. So the, the bees know they're going to swarm, so they'll make these queen cells. The queen will lay egg in there. But they will feed that egg more protein and more nectar. That's all they do. They're called royal jelly. They produce that due to the lack of pheromones in the hive. And the, the queen will then, will, that little cell will be capped at day eight. And day 16, new queens will um, hatch. The first queen that hatch will kill all the other queens. queens. A queen can sting multiple times, where a normal bee can sting once, and then they lose their barb. A queen can sting multiple times. So they, she kills all the other queens. Then the queen's now a virgin queen. She'll fly out to a place called a drone mating area. We don't know exactly where it is. They say it's in the treetops. Well, she'll go to, and all the other drones will go there, and she'll mate with about 10 to 20 drones. Every time they, she mates with the drones, the drone will die. She'll come back a day or what later, and now she's fertilized. She's got 
enough eggs to last about five years, and she can lay up to 2,000 a day. So a lot of eggs. That's the lifespan of a queen. Now we've got different types of hives. So um, the first one here, that's the Langstroth hive. This is just a normal, we call them boxes. You can see there's, there's one or three boxes and two boxes. Now the three boxes what we aim for. So the bottom box is called the brood box. That's where the queen will lay her eggs and all her babies are reared. Inside the boxes we get frames and we've got a piece of wire on it. And onto the wire we will melt a wax foundation. That is just a base to give the bees a place to start. So if you don't do this, they tend to build different forms of, of, of um, wax comb and that disrupts it because you need to pull this in and out all the time. So that's just a picture showing the, 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 the frames lying on top here and you get different size boxes. This is an eight frame box. And that's just all the bees on top of one of the frames. Now, the next picture there, just to show you, at the bottom there, you can hardly see it, but there's some bees coming in and out. So you, the bottom box sits on top of a, a bottom board where a little entrance and where the bees goes in. And then just between the two boxes, we put a metal divider. It's called a queen divider. So it's a piece of mesh. Because the queen is bigger than normal bees, the queen can't go through the mesh, but the bees can. So that helps us to keep all the queen and the babies in the bottom box. Because the second and the third box is where we store our honey. We don't want brood in there. We don't want babies. Because when you harvest, you get all the, the byproducts. Now, the second type of um, beehive there is a Toba hive or Kenyan hive. The Greeks started this many years ago. Um, just for interesting sake, they found some honey that's in a tomb in Georgia that's 5,000 years old and still tastes good. Um, so Toba hive is a little bit different. So what we do is we got that trough there with wooden slats, and then you put the wooden slats on, and the bees will then form a comb in the shape of the trough. So the, the difference there is there's no wires in there. So when you harvest the honey, you basically just take a knife, you cut it off, the, honey, the whole comb falls into a bin, and you press the honey out. So that's probably also the cheapest and the easiest way how to harvest honey. Um, there's two more hives, the flow hive and the warre hive, but we'll skip that today. Now, to start beekeeping, so I started beekeeping was the wrong way. So I went on the internet, I got myself a hive, the hive arrived, what now? No idea, clueless. And it's quite daunting, you've got this box of bees, you don't know what to do. So the best thing to do is to join the local club. So we've got a very good club that's in the central coast. And there's, there's, there's mentors there, there's people that know about beekeeping, been doing it for many years, and they'll teach you everything. The other thing you've got to do also is you've got to register at the New South Wales DPI. So that's, it's a small fee you pay. The reason for that is that there's diseases that can harm and kill bees. So what we do is that we, we, know, we tell New South Wales where our apries or where our hives are. And if something happens, we get disease in our hives, they can notify other beekeepers, and so we can control this disease because there's quite a few things that can go wrong with bees. Now, um, let's go back to that one. So then basic equipment, what you need to start beekeeping. So just a bee suit because actually they do sting. So you can buy them most places. Then you need... Called a hive tool. A hive tool is just designed 
to lift the frames out of your hives. Um, they, the bees use propolis as like a glue where they seal everything. If you look inside, you, all this grey mucky stuff is actually propolis and this, the frames stick together. So it's much better to, um, to lift out the hive tool and just a bee brush. Then you also need a smoker. So before we open a hive, we just gently smoke it. The smoke will then interfere with the pheromones and the messages in the bee in the hive itself. So the bees become more less aggressive. And uh, I've tried once or twice, you're too lazy to light the smoke and open a hive, and you get stuck. So it's always good to have a smoker. Now, the equipment you also need is the hardware. This is the boxes. So you, you start with a bottom box and one box, and then you add on your boxes. The boxes you can make yourself. You buy like a flat pack, or you can um, buy them already made for use at, at local beekeeping shops. Now, and then the last thing is now we need to get bees. Now, the easiest way to get bees is to catch a swarm. So that's me on the ladder there, and you can see... Just above my head, you see something brown. So the bees swarmed into a lily pilly tree. So you climb up the ladder and you take a broccoli polystyrene box, shake the bees in there, put them back in another hive, and you start over again. So that's the one way to catch a swarm. The other one is called bees in the box. So you buy them from, from Pendus or from Hornsby Beekeeping. So that box is on its side. So it comes, the box comes filled with three pounds of bees and a queen in there in a little cage. So you go drive through, you pick up your box, you bring the, the box back, you take the queen out in a little cage, you put it in between, and then you just take the bees and chuck them all in there. So the bees will always follow the queen. It's in that position because all the excess bees must still go into the hive. You close it up and they start a new hive for you. Now, um, there's two other ways you can buy a nucleus. It's, a nucleus is just five frames you buy from beekeepers, or you can, some people stop beekeeping and you can buy their hives. Right, so I just want just, to, just to show basically, this is just a presentation of how a bottom box will look. So if you inspect your hive, the bees will do a certain thing inside the box. It's quite interesting. So you've got your eight frames. So the first frame that comes out is always a honey frame. So in this frame, you can see it's capped honey. So they use the honey in the outside for insulation on both sides because the temperature must be at between 34 and 36 degrees for the babies to grow. And so they always keep it that way. In hot days, they'll use water and they'll fan the wings over water to down the temperature. And when it's cold in, in winter, they will clog together. All the bees sit inside and keep the temperature at 36 degrees. Normally, the next frame you get, you'll start getting pollen and some more honey. And then from your third frame inward, you start getting brood. So brood is, we call, this is cap brood. This is where the bees at day eight will cap the, the larvae. And this is the, the, the brown we're seeing. And then you see a bit of pollen there, and they're storing a bit of honey on the outside. This is a normal pattern that will keep on going for the, for the, the center frames. And then you get to the other side, you start getting more honey again. So that's basically what we do, um, what we see in the a, in a, in a, in a box bees when we open them up. So we try and open up at least twice a year to inspect the brood, to look if the queen is um, laying her eggs well, and also look for diseases. Right. The biggest fun about um, is extracting the honey. So for honey, you need a frame that's capped 
called a capped frame for honey. So if you look at that photograph there, you can see there's some white there, and that is where the bees have stored the nectar. When the nectar's got a high moisture content, they use the wings to fan it and get the moisture content around about 21, 19%, 21%, and then it will actually cap it, and it'll stay stable. So we need a frame that's 80%. In the middle of the frame is uncapped, and there's just little um, nectar in there. So the frame then go to the shed. And um, so we're going to uncap the honey now. So we use a hot knife. So half the knife just, just heats up, it's plugged in. And then you scrape it over the frame, and it will melt the wax capping off so that the raw honey is sitting inside the cells now. And my wife is the queen capper. That's her job. And that's what you end. So there's a frame now, and that frame is now one of these frames. And it's full of, full of honey. And that frame will weigh about two and a half kilograms. So that goes into a little extractor, centrifuge. You put it in. You hold it down because it's not stable. It jumps everywhere. And um, the kids swing it off for you. So the, the centrifugal force then will push the honey out of the cells into the stainless steel container. You take the plug out. And then the honey runs out. So the honey comes out. It goes through two sieves. The sieves is just to get rid of some of the wax that's in there and um, sometimes a bit of pollen. And there we go. So you got your first pot of honey. Pot of honey. So how much honey are you making? You said you got six hives. So you you can get about fifty kilos of honey per hive per season. Fifty kilos if, per hive. If Things go right. Okay. This so just season, in case you need six no hives. No just honey. No honey this season. So you could go from, what is that? 300 kilograms or something. Yeah, I got about 120 last season. But this year so far, I just had swarming bees, dying queens and problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're selling it. Um, no, it is. Um, I do. It, it sounds, it's, oh yeah, okay, so, you've made, so you sell your honey? I do. If I get surplus, I sell the practice. Uh, yeah, it, There's money involved. You need to buy jars and lids and suits and that. So I just blow it back. Just use the cash for... Yeah, so uh, to support the hobby, you yes, support the yeah, interest. It's, it's, I give more away than I'm selling. So, yeah, that's yeah. good. All right, well, I reckon that's really interesting. Um, looks like some great honey. Do you mind if people try? Yeah, there's two jars there. Yeah, so the, the one is... Um, this is last season's honey because yep. I haven't got honey this year. Um, so, yeah, we've got some sticks you can dip and taste it. Yep. This is, is creamed honey. So creamed honey is when you take honey and you add 10% crystallized honey, you whip it up in a mixer for half an hour, it becomes yep. white, you aerate it, you put it in the fridge for two weeks, and it comes out like this. Creamed honey. And it tastes nice. That's good. All right, well, I want to give you guys a chance. We, I feel like we've heard a lot of stuff from the front for the next little, uh, for a while. Uh, Johan will be around for the next little while. So if you've got particular questions about beehives, honey, that kind of thing, got one here right now, can't wait. Go for it. Flow hives. Flow hives. Um, yeah, so I haven't got a flow hive. So flow hive is, for the people who don't know, flow hive was um, designed by the Andersons in Byron Bay. So he, every time you harvest honey, some bees die. This, it's a big schlep. So what he did, he, 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 took, he made a, a box. And in the box, he put frames where the bees will... Just hold that. So the bees will build their comb on both sides. But he gave them plastic comb. Plastic. 
and he split it. So what happens? And there's a mirror, there's a window in there, so you can see when when that when your when your plastic combs are full of honey, and then you crank it, you crank it, and you move the hive. You split them up, and then the honey comes out. It drains out into a jar, so you don't have to extract. It's much safer for the bees. It's more. It's just more expensive. Um, it's quite expensive a flow hive, and people will order it on the internet, get a flow hive. You still need a brood box underneath. You still need one super for honey stores for the bees. So you still need to know about beekeeping. Stuff, you still yeah. need all the other stuff. It's not. It's not a magic thing. You put your jar and you get honey. And there's a problem that the bees don't always put their honey into the plastic. So there's certain things you got to spray it with wax and you got to wait till there's a lot of nectar so the bees go on there so it's it's so good if someone was interested in getting in there's a few bunch of different options but you'd have to check it out i think if you're interested in beekeeping go to the club wednesday evenings every third week in gosford they got a whole session for we call them newbies yeah and they New show bees. you everything yeah that's good all right let's give johan a hand uh we're just going to hang out for next little while grab, grab some more coffee uh and if you've got a question come down Give him an ask. <laughs>